Thank you for joining the podcast of East Bay Bible Fellowship. We're located at 1361 High Street in the city of Alameda, California. For more information and service times, please visit our website at ebbfellowship.com. That's ebbfellowship.com. Thank you and God bless. text for uh, the lesson today, but uh, I'm going to be quoting several scriptures as uh, as we go through the lesson. So I do want to get right into this. I, I've, I'm going to be honest with you. I was uh, praying all morning and uh, even studying last night and uh, just really feel uh, the need to unpackage this and deliver this. Um, feel good about it. feel like it's a word from the Lord for us. And I want to talk about some very important things. I'm actually kind of gl- glad to some degree, the crowd's a little smaller because we might get into some sensitive subjects. But, uh, but I, I'm, I'm thankful for what God has laid on my heart. So let's pray. Let's ask God to uh, touch us as we go into his word. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful and it is anointed. Jesus, I'm asking you today that you would touch me both in my mind and in my body and allow me to deliver a word for your people. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would rise up inside of us, God, and help us to apply this word as we leave this place today in Jesus' name. And everyone shout amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Very quickly before I get into this, at the uh, end of this month, we are having bilingual service. And also, uh, we're going to be talking about some new developments in our church. Uh, An opportunity has opened for us to go to a new building, a much larger facility, uh, where the kids can have Sunday school inside. Um, and we can grow, 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 grow. So uh, be ready for that. That's going to be good. You don't want to miss uh, the, 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 the last service of this month. I'm only doing it then because I'll have everybody here. So uh, get ready for that. Everyone say amen. amen. All right. So we've been studying the first uh, several books uh, of the Bible. And we're right now we're in the book of Leviticus on Thursday nights. Um, but in particular, we've been trying to look at the patterns and the themes um, that are so important in all of these books. As many of you, uh, as as many of you know, we actually began really at the beginning in Genesis one and one. Um, and this last week on Thursday, uh, we completed the book of Leviticus. Now, one of the threads running through all of these books, from Genesis to Leviticus is the theme of sacred space. Everyone say sacred space. space. Now, in Genesis, we see that God creates a world which is essentially good. Everything he makes, I believe it's between six to seven times, the Lord says it is good, it is good, it is good. But within that world, God places a space which is better than good. It is sacred. And uh, the Bible calls it a garden. Um, artists, poets, uh, etc. throughout the centuries and down through the centuries will later refer to it as a paradise. Uh, one of the reasons that we, uh, that we call this place a paradise and that we're able to also conclude that it is a sacred space is that because within its enclosure, 
the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, have a clear and pure perception of one another. Um, if there's any one thing we do not have to question is whether Adam and Eve had a healthy understanding of uh, what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a woman. There was no exterior information. There was no third party information, if you will. Uh, really, in their case, fourth party information because all they knew is what God had given them. But there wasn't movies, there wasn't music, there wasn't magazines, there wasn't periodicals, there wasn't any of this. It was just man, woman, and God. And so their perception was rather pure. Um, as we read further into our Bible, the sacred space continues to resurface, but in different ways. It is no longer a garden or a paradise. In Exodus, we read of the burning bush. Moses is now far advanced in age, and he is ready really to just retire and let the days of his life go by. But one day he is out, amen, in the wilderness. And the Bible says that he sees a burning bush. Um, we've, we've actually had fires here in the Bay Area. And so we probably all know by now, I was pretty shocked. You know, you think everything is arson, uh, but not all forest fires are arson. Uh, you can have a forest fire just due to uh, natural conditions. Uh, but um, this was probably the same in ancient days. But Moses here sees something that's a little bit different than a forest fire. He sees a bush that is lit up. It is, it is, it is totally on fire, but it is not consumed. And, and Moses says, I will stop and I will look at this wonder. I will behold this fire that burns but is not consumed. Um, it is within that space that um, we see that the Lord tells Moses, Moses, do not come any further. Um, as Moses begins to approach that, that bush, the Lord stops him and says, take the shoes off thy feet because the place where you are standing is holy ground. It is sacred space. You cannot just come in as you are. And um, the interesting thing is, of course, as we all know, God tells Moses to remove his, the sandals from off of his feet. Now, there's so many reasons uh, and theories as to why God did this. But I think if we were just to look at this on the most practical level, um, your shoes just go everywhere. They go anywhere. Your shoes are really the things you put on your feet because uh, you know you're going to step on things you don't want to be stepping on. And so God says, you know what, Moses? Uh, you, you can come, but not just as you are. There are some things that need to be taken off. There are some things that need to be pushed back and removed uh, because this is sacred space. This is holy ground. Now, um, when we keep going through the Bible, and as you know, last week we got into Leviticus, this last Thursday, the, the, the sacred space shifts and now it is no longer terra firma or soil or, or ground. It becomes an actual object. Um, as we talked about on Thursday, the thing connecting Exodus to Leviticus is a tabernacle. It is a tent. And that tent, for all intents and purposes, is a mobile sanctuary. It is this place that they can uh, put up and tear down as they travel throughout the wilderness, uh, speaking of the Israelites. But wherever that tent is now becomes sacred space. Um, and it becomes sacred by the activities that go on around it. Um, and it becomes sacred because God manifests himself inside of that tent. Um, and, and now everything that the Israelites do around that sacred space 
has to be done cautiously, has to be done with a certain amount of awareness and carefulness. They cannot just behave however they want. They cannot just talk however they want. They cannot just do whatever they want. Um, several times in, in Exodus uh, numbers in Deuteronomy, the Lord will actually give them uh, the, 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 the final reason and conclusion why. He'll say, because I am the Lord thy God that dwells in your midst. I am the God inside of that tabernacle. And so wherever I'm at becomes sacred space. It becomes holy ground. And now all human activity must be done with a certain amount of carefulness and consideration. Can you say amen? amen. amen. But it doesn't end there. It does not end there. Um, the concept of sacred space shifts one final time. And this time it moves from being a territory to being the human body. The human body now becomes, in the New Testament, sacred space. It becomes the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says what? Know ye not that your body, look at your neighbor and say, that's your body. That's Amen. Your body. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is what? Which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. So now the scripture tells us that the sacred space, the sacred dwelling of God, the holiness of God is now inhabiting human bodies. And these human bodies now are not our own. They are now God's property. They are now God's sacred space. They are now, you know, these days. And, and just so you know, this concept is actually a very deep longing in humanity to have a place within Space that is not like any other place. Right now, you hear a lot of uh, political talk, but uh, you see this longing for what they call safe space. And I'm not, I'm not totally against the term. I know that some people probably take it too far, but I think all of us know that we all need a safe place in life. We need a safe space in life uh, where we can talk, where we can bear our souls, where we are safe. Amen. Where we're where we're not being looked at or attacked or 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 harassed. Amen. Be it by voices or imagery or whatever. There's a longing in humanity to have a place within within this world where where things are 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 a little bit more reverence and respected and things are done a little bit more carefully and considerate uh, uh, with with more consideration uh, for for human dignity. Can you say amen? But but God answers this longing and he says, I will make your bodies now my temple. I will make your bodies now my tabernacle. In fact, as you read through the New Testament, it begins to refer to the body as the tabernacle of the Lord. So your body and my body now becomes sacred space. Acts 17 and 24, the Bible says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. What God is now inhabiting are human bodies. That's your body. That's my body. Amen. Now, this is, uh, this is a huge shift in what we would call the collective conscience of humanity. Um, contrary to what we might think, throughout antiquity, throughout history, um, humans did not view the body as sacred. Uh, and they did not view each other as sacred. Um, uh, the idea of life and a right to life, amen, uh, was birthed from this concept of man being made in God's image and man being the dwelling place of a sacred and holy God. Um, antiquity didn't see things that way. 
Uh, it is the, the Jew and the Christian that give birth to this idea that if you are born, you have certain rights. And your first right is a right to life. You deserve to live. Um, and God, um, and this is not really part of my message, but even later on, the Lord will speak to the children of Israel. He gives them these, these series of blessings and promises and even curses. And he says, this day have I laid before you life and death. He says, choose life. And, and literally what God is saying is you should be an advocate for life. Not just the life around you, but your own life. You should always advocate for your own life. Can you say amen? You should be concerned for the quality of your life. Amen. I, I, you should be concerned about the quality of your happiness, your health, your joy, your peace. Everything that, is, that pertains to your life, you should take inventory of it. And if you feel like there are things in your life... That are, that, are, that are depleting your life. You have an obligation from God who gave you sacred life. Amen. To make the moves you got to move. And that, to make the moves you got to make. Amen. To get rid of the friends you got to get rid of. Amen. To get rid of the things you got to get rid of. I know when I came to God, and this is not everybody's story. Amen. But I, I was heavily addicted to drugs. And I, I drank and I did drugs. And, and eventually that led to suicidal thoughts and tendencies and depression. And I had to... Uh, the, the the greatest revelation I ever had was when God came to me and spoke to me very clearly about repentance. Amen. But within that thought, within that concept of repentance, I understood that God was not telling me this because he was mad at me. He was advocating for my life. He was saying, you're not going to make it if you keep living like this. And I want you to choose life. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Now, um, uh, the human body is a sacred space and that. Uh, that means that it cannot be treated as common or worthless. The human body cannot be treated as common or worthless. Uh, even early Christians found themselves having to debate the idea of the body of sacred space within offshoots and heresies in Christianity. When Christianity first began to develop, very quickly, there was people that, even the Apostle John talks about, um, they have left us because they are not of us. Well, these people didn't just leave and, and stop believing in Jesus Christ. They left and they begin to preach a different kind of Jesus Christ and a different kind of a spirit. In fact, later on in his, in his first epistle, John will even talk about, amen, any spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came not in the flesh is antichrist. So there emerges these groups of, of heretics of offshoot Christianity that cannot shake off. The ideas of, of antiquity that the body is sacred space. They actually believed that the, that the human body was inherently evil. Um, that it was like this trap. That, that, that your flesh was this horrible thing that, that the Holy Ghost detested. That God himself was not fond of. Um, but that's really not the picture that the Bible paints. Um, the Bible says that we believe in a God who created flesh. Uh, we believe in a God who made, who became flesh. Hallelujah. We don't only believe that flesh was created. We believe that the word became flesh. We believe that, that, uh, that the word became flesh to redeem flesh. We believe that the word became flesh to redeem flesh. And we also believe in the resurrection of the flesh. If God detested the flesh that much, he never would have came in it. He never would have, he never would have uh, put a plan in salvation to resurrect it. He would not have even created it. Hallelujah. Uh, and so your, your body is actually God's 
conduit. It's God's instrument. Amen. He wants you to worship him with it. He wants you to praise him with it. Amen. Uh, the, the psalmist David said the dead cannot praise the Lord. Amen. The flesh is now deceased and it cannot praise God. It is that same David in Psalms 84 and 2 that says my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh. Everyone say flesh. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Amen. Um, the, 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 the biblical attitude is that my body is not something God hates. What God does hate is what I might do with my body. Amen. That is contrary to his word and will. But what God wants me to do with my body is to worship him with it. Is to use it as an instrument of glorification to his name. And to treat it with sacredness. And to treat it as though it's not my own. And, and so if our bodies are sacred space, then we know that not anything and everything can run through them. If your body is sacred... Uh, and it is sacred space and it is the temple of God. You cannot allow just anything and everything to run through your body. And uh, I don't have time to get into all of this. Um, uh, but I, I do want to focus on one particular aspect of the body. There are things that we must avoid. Period. There are things we have to avoid. Because they have uh, disastrous effects uh, on our perception. And on our ideas of God, uh, our ideas about ourselves, and our ideas about others. And the particular part of the body that I want to talk about today that we have to take care of, that we have to keep, that we have to guard is our eyes. Can you say amen? Amen. Much of the environment that, surround us, that surrounds us today depicts the body in an exploitive way. A lot of the images you see in this world... Uh, they do not reverence the human body. Uh, they, they, they depict it in a way that is exploitive. Um, and that, I, 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 I am not ashamed. This, this doesn't bother me one bit. Um, I will tell you that in the past, that, that exploitation focused primarily on women. There was this exploitive view of women where, where, where women were depicted as being, you know, uh, less than human in many in many respects and regards. But today, it is not just women that are being exploited. It is men as well. Men are also, there's these images of men that are also out there in the world today that quite frankly, um, if you were to ask me, it is making, uh, it, is, it is affecting not only how men see themselves, but it is also affecting the way women see men. Um, they're, they're, everywhere you look, there are these fantasy, fake, and really, quite honestly, worthless uh, imagery, uh, images of men and women. And if you are not careful uh, and you allow those images to get in your head, amen, it will make getting married harder. It will make having a happy marriage harder. It will make raising children more complicated. And worst of all, and, or, or maybe just as bad, it is going to affect your image of God. Because if you are being told every day, if you are, and let me, let, let me just stop here for one second. Images are a form of communication. That's why we can even talk about body language. But, but images are a form of communication. They don't, they don't have to articulate anything per se with language. When you see an image, there is, there is embedded into it a message. And, and a lot of those messages are prepackaged. 
They're very well engineered. They're very well thought out. But when I see a particular image um, and, it, and it comes prepackaged and it comes, you know, with all these already meanings and, and all these things and, and it's so well engineered that it's made to get my attention and it's, it's, it's made in such a way as to make me look at it. Um, it's going to affect the way I see myself. And, and this is a problem because if I see images and I could, I could, this now goes for men and women. If I see nothing but images of perfect men and perfect women, I am going to start thinking less of God who didn't make me perfect. Who didn't uh, somehow for some reason at, at 16, 18, and now that I'm almost 40, I had a birthday. Amen. And, and I don't have this glorious six pack, you know, and, uh, and I'm not, I'm not the right height. And, you know, I don't, I don't have perfect hair and I don't, and this goes for men and women now. And I don't have, you know, this, this grade of success and I don't have, uh, these material objects or where that's messing with me. And it's messing with the way I see God and the way I see, and the way I see the love that God has towards me. Amen. Can I tell you, amen, that the scripture tells us that the glory of God dwells inside of earthen vessels. It didn't say, it didn't say pictures of gold. Amen. And I know, I know, I know people have a very high opinion of themselves, but I think if we were all look in the mirror, we'd see earthen vessels. Hallelujah. With a few cracks, with a few rough spots, with some dry patches. Amen. Hallelujah. With, 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 with what we might call less than perfection. Amen. But God created it that way. God created it so that you would derive a certain amount of esteem and, and, and sense of self-worth. Not not from, amen, your flesh, but from what dwells inside of your flesh. Amen. That God who makes your flesh sacred space. That God who says, I don't care if you're disabled. I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how rich or how poor you are. I don't care how educated or uneducated you are. You are my sacred space. You are my temple. You are my dwelling place. I want to live inside of you. Can you say amen? Amen. These exploitive images degrade the way we see ourselves, the way we see each other, and they cheapen the gift of sight. They cheapen the gift of sight. We cannot depend on government and laws to defend our sight. You can't depend on the government these days to defend your eyes, to guard your vision. Uh, you have to remember that the right to use the means of communication, what we might call freedom of speech, is not an absolute right. The freedom of speech is not an absolute right. Uh, it must always be at the service of common good. Right. So uh, I remember the other day I was talking to a friend of mine who was a preacher, and he was he was actually in he was uh, at the Alamo in Texas somewhere, you know, at the sightseeing attraction. And I guess there was a man out there preaching. There was a man out there preaching, uh, really loud on the megaphone, you know. And so my friend just thought it'd be funny to kind of de challenge the guy and debate him. And, you know, you just quoted that scripture wrong, and that's not what that means. And he said a police officer came up to him and said, uh, hey, if you, if you don't leave that guy alone, I'm going to arrest you. And he said, well, I, I, I have, you know, the freedom of speech. You know, and he's exercising his, and I want to exercise good. He said, no, now you're disrupting the peace. This guy was... This guy was like doing fine by himself. Everybody was ignoring him. Everybody was calm. But you're like now riling up the, the common space. You're, you're causing problems here. You're, you're causing ruckus. And now everyone's going to be disrupted. Um, and so he had to back off, you know. But, but you would think that government, and, and there was probably a time where it did, said we cannot have that image on television. We cannot 
communicate that image on radio. We cannot have that image on a magazine or a newspaper because it does not serve the common good. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of stuff that does not serve the common good. There's, there, just the other day, we went out to, uh, we were in San Francisco, and um, praise God, those of you who've been in the city, we got like stuck on Polk Street, and I'm like, man, I need the lights to turn green as fast as possible, because I have my daughters in the back. And I'm like, these images do not serve the common good. And, and so, I cannot now depend on civil laws or governmental laws to look out for the common good of my children or even for the common good of my marriage, or my own mental hygiene. They're not doing that. They're saying these images are, are perfectly okay. But they're not okay. They affect us. They affect all of us. They have severe effects on us. Can you say amen? Amen. Psalms 101 and 3, and uh, this is ESV, um, says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Everyone say worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. David here says, Lord, I will not set anything. You know, the KJV says, I will not set any evil thing before my eyes. But the, the, the original here, a little bit closer to the original, is worthless. Let me tell you something. We cannot add value to something that is worthless. And the world we're living in today is trying to add value to worthless images. Any image of a woman that is exploitive is worthless. Any image of a man that is exploitive. And I'm not, just for the sake of this, and I know these are, we don't, we don't have a lot of kids here. But I'm not just speaking of, say, something of a pornographic nature. I'm speaking of anything that, 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 that may put the value on a human being at a different place than what the Bible puts it at. Those are worthless images. Uh, 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 you can pick up, I don't know, all kinds of magazines these days. It doesn't even have to be something of, of, a, of a vile nature. It can be something that's, that's a, a widespread publication. And it's, and, it's, and it's projecting a worth, it's trying to add value to a worthless image of what it means to be a man. And a worthless image of what it means to be a woman. And, and I, I agree with David. I will put no worthless thing before my eyes. Amen. Because I, I myself am not worthless. I am sacred space. Hallelujah. I am the temple of God. I am of great value in the eyes of God. Hallelujah. And I don't want to put anything before my eyes, before the eyes of my children, before the eyes of my wife. And I don't want anything put before my eyes. Amen. Hallelujah. That's going to make me feel less than what I am. That's going to make me feel less than what God created me as. Can you shout amen? Amen. amen. In uh, Matthew 6, 22, the Lord says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Amen. A lot of times we don't realize where the, where the sadness is coming from. A lot of times we don't realize where the fatigue is coming from. A lot of times we don't realize where the sorrow and the grief and the depression and the, 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 all these, uh, these ugly feelings are coming from. Amen. I got news for you. They're coming, amen, from an eye that is unhealthy. Amen. It's, and, and, and sometimes I, 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 I hate to sound like, like so defeated. Sometimes we cannot avoid the things that are out there. We see them. We see them. We see them. But you are not just seeing. You are being bombarded. Hallelujah. Uh, I think the average American sees over 100 images a day. 
which is, and what I mean by images, I'm talking about things that are targeting you. They are directly out to get you. They want your money. They want your mind. They want your emotions. They want to grab a hold of your head. Amen. And I'm, that, that, that does cause a certain amount of fatigue on you. That does wear you out. But there is an answer to that. Amen. Hallelujah. The answer to that is to get in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. To pray. Hallelujah. To set your eyes. Amen. On, 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 on the lamp of, of, of your life, which is the word of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, I would challenge everybody here. And I'm challenging myself and I'm challenging you. I would challenge everybody here to go on a media fast. Uh, I'm not saying today or tomorrow, but at least periodically throughout your life. You know, what, what does the media fast do? And I'm talking about go a week where the only thing you read, the only thing you're looking at is your Bible. What does that do? It allows you to see the things. Amen. Come on in. It allows you to see the things. Amen. That are in this world that are destructive, that are exploitive, that are degrading. It allows you to see them for what they really are. Amen. It allows you to see them where they really are. It allows you to see how they really work. It allows you to see uh, how much they're really damaging you. Sometimes you don't even realize how much imagery is damaging you until you until you actually cut it off. Until you say, you know what, uh, I'm... I, I'm not going to be scrolling through the popular page at Instagram. I'm not going to be scrolling through Facebook. I'm not going to be doing any of that. I'm going to, I'm going to allow myself some rest, some repose from all these imageries. And, and I'm going to focus in, amen, on some good news. Hallelujah. I'm going to, I, 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 have, I have zero regrets. You know, um, I, I've, I've now been a preacher long enough to tell you I've helped a lot of people who have become very ill and sick. And, and some we've, we've, we've regretfully had to see go on to the next world. But I've, I've been in situations where the doctors are telling dying patients, you know, don't turn the TV on. Uh, just, just rest. Uh, just the news can get you depressed these days. And uh, there may not be necessarily any vile image coming through it, but, but just bad, it just seems like there's a lot of bad news out there these days. And, um, and it wears on you. It does. It wears on your mind. It wears on your health. It wears on your mental hygiene. Can you say amen? amen? Mark 10 and 25, the Lord says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, um, that really isn't in reference to the human eye. But I do want to let you know this, that uh, the lust of the eyes will hinder you from getting through the camels, through the, through the eye of the needle. Amen? Uh, and what, what do I mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. Um, we are constantly being told visually um, that it's being communicated to us every day that we need things which we really don't. Yeah, and so what does Jesus mean by the eye of the needle and the camel? Well, there's, there's all kinds of theories, but I'll just tell you one. And it's probably the best fitting for this sermon. There's a concept that uh, there used to be a door, there used to be an entry into the cities called the Eye of the Needle, um, and that they used to try to get camels through there, uh, these, you know, Bedouin-like people, and uh, they'd have to unload the camel to get the camel through. It couldn't fit if it was cargoed, if it was uh, loaded with all this stuff, so they'd have, to, they'd have to get all these bags off the camels in order to get the camel through, and Jesus says, you're not going to make it through uh, with your U-Haul. You're not going to make it through there with, you know, 15 backpacks, 10 purses, and six plastic bags, and <laughs> hallelujah, all the ladies say amen, hallelujah. Amen. You're not going to make it there. It's just, 
You, you're just, you're, you're, in fact, Jesus, uh, one of his famous pleas from the temple, um, one of his famous prayers is, come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden. You're overloaded. That's right. You're overloaded. You're carrying a bunch of stuff you shouldn't be carrying. Come unto me, all ye, with 15 persons and 20 bags and, and, uh, and amen, a backpack, whatever. So, so let's get rid of all this stuff. Let's, 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 let's get rid of all this. But visually it's being communicated to us that he who has the most toys dies the happiest, as, or whatever, however the saying goes. That the more you have, the happier you have. And uh, uh, the more happiness you have. That's not true. Um, in fact, I will tell you that with the accumulation of stuff, you accumulate stress. The more things you have, and I'm not actually advocating here for some monastic lifestyle where you're like down to one dress and like <laughs> praying all day. I'm not, I'm not advocating for that, but I am advocating for this. Don't overcomplicate your life. Amen. Uh, we're living in troublesome times. Life moves faster today than it's ever moved. Amen. Life is moving at a velocity today that is unreal. Amen. And, uh, and it's heavy. Amen. And I'd rather, uh, I, think, I think you would rather um, uh, use a lot of your emotional and mental energies, not on trying to decide between 15 or 20 or 30, 50 pairs of whatever, but rather on, you know what, what, what can I do that's meaningful today in my life? How can I interact more meaningful with the people around me? Amen. How can I develop healthier friendships? How can I be a healthier person? Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. And so let's not, let's, not, let's not allow ourselves, amen, uh, to be told. And, and let's not buy into the lie that there's all kinds of stuff we, we, we need uh, and that we don't have. Yeah. Amen. Um, my mother, I, I'll never forget it. I was young. And my mother was this really hardworking lady. Um, you know, she came from Mexico. She, she, uh, uh, she was very educated in Mexico. But when she came here... Um, of course, her education didn't mean much, so she ended up having to clean houses. And um, there was a lot of rough, I mean, I didn't know this then, you know, but my mom later on told me with tears in her eyes, she said, you know, she said there was just, there was days I fed you guys and I didn't eat because I knew that if I ate, we wouldn't have food for the next day. And I, you know, my mom was just a genius at making, like, Full course meals out of just like tortillas and cheese, like it's just great. You know, like mom could do that. Um, so we didn't. I didn't. You know, when you're when you're poor and you're little, you just somebody has to remind you that you were poor. Like you didn't know back then. You know, your life was so simple. But um, I remember my mom just you know telling us just how poor and and, and how broke she was. And so, but uh, but I remember one day being really young and, and telling my mom, you know, mom, we. I had seen something advertised on television, and I was like, Mom, we got to get this. Like, you don't understand, Mom. Like, this is, like, what we need in life, and we would, like, be better people. And I'm like, I got my mom, and my mom just didn't, she could not wrap her hardworking Hispanic mind around that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, she just, I'm not trying to sound bad here, but she's just, you just have to know my mom. She just, it was not happening. And I remember she said something, it was like the deepest thing I'd ever heard at that age. She was like, you know what, if I needed it, I'd already have it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just thought, Mom, I, my mother had one pair of white Reeboks. I remember she'd wash those things. Every night she'd wash her white Reeboks. 
she'd get that white shoe polish, she'd paint them white. She had those things looking brand new every morning. And, uh, but I thought to my mom, you can use, we need more Reeboks. We need this thing. We need, we need all these items. And my mom was just getting by on, on the bare necessities. And, um, and it was hard. And did my mom cry? Yes, she cried. Today, my mom is actually doing very well for herself. Yes. Amen. And, and my mom can pinch a penny so tight she'll make Abraham Lincoln's nosebleed. Amen. <laughs> but but she, there's a lot of things my mom doesn't stress about. My mom is actually free today to worry about me and my kids. Hallelujah. As she does so often. Amen. But there's one. My mom's not worrying about a new pair of Reeboks. Amen. My mom doesn't worry about amen, a new television. My mom doesn't worry about, amen, a new car. My mom doesn't worry about all these other stuff. She's, she learned how to get by on what, on, on the bare necessities and she could, she could use all her energies, amen, on what really matters. Can you say amen? amen. And I'm, I'm closing with this. Uh, God has given us the gift of sight. Your ability to see is a gift. It is a gift. And I understand that there's several implications that can come out from this statement. Um, but you just, just wait. You know, my wife, she uses contacts. Amen. I'm sure there's not a day that she wishes she didn't have to. Um, uh, those of you who might use contacts or glasses, you, you should be able to amen this. Gift is, sight is a gift. Your ability to see, this is a gift. Uh, and I understand that there are very gifted people who cannot see. But, but I guarantee those gifted people who cannot see would not mind having their sight. It is, it is a blessing from God to be able to see color, yes. to be able to Amen. see images, to be able to see the face of my children, to see the face. I mean, there's so much beauty in the world. I know that sounds kind of cheesy and cliche-ish, but, but what I'm talking about is intrinsic beauty. Right. When you stop and you think about that, uh, no two humans look the same. I, my wife, who's a twin, I would never confuse her with her sister. Right. Amen. They, they, now, other people confuse them, but... If you get around them, they don't look alike. You, you actually start, once you look at them, you're like, they don't look alike. Yeah. And, and, and you think of this God who creates millions of human beings, and, and they don't look alike. And they're, not even their fingerprints are the same. And there's a, there's a beauty there, this God who's creating diverse forms of life and, and all these. And, and you get to see that. You get to see that. You get to see you get to see the color of the leaves. You get to see the changing of the seasons. You get to, sight is a gift. Uh, in the writers of the New Testament and even early Greek philosophers used a particular word called telos. And the word telos means the end, uh, the end of purpose, the reason why something was created, the reason why something came into existence. And they believed that everything had a telos. They believed that everything had this end purpose, an end function, this ultimate purpose. And the scripture, at least from my point of view, tells us what the telos of sight is. And the telos, the ultimate purpose of sight, as the scripture says, is that we may see the Lord. That we may see the Lord. God did not just give us sight to, to, to be able to uh, appreciate the beauty of this world. Ultimately, God gave you sight so that you might see him one day. But I want to make it very clear to you. Amen. The things we see every day, the things we allow into our eyes, into our eye gate, into our homes. Amen. Those things, amen, can hinder, amen, the potential that, 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 that we have to see God. Amen. Those things can eternally affect you. Those things can take you down the wrong path. Those things can mess up your mind. Those things can mess up your heart. Those things can mess up your marriage. 
Those things can mess up your children. Those things will destroy. Amen. We would think that this is perhaps maybe sounding a little fanatical, but the truth of the matter is, is that I see and you see, we all see people every day, amen, that have the wrong perception about who they are. They have the wrong perception of what their husband or their wife is supposed to be. They have, they have the wrong perception of what their kids are supposed to be. I don't think I've ever seen a, a, a time, at least in my short life, where people are more um, caught up with being like, you know, celebrities. And, and, like, and they do it to their kids. And now, like, you see these little kids that look like they're dressed up as, like, adults. And I'm not, I'm not here to nitpick society, but I am here to say this. We are obviously all being affected. We are all being affected. And our sight is a blessing. Let's protect it. Let's guard it. Let's keep it. Amen. Can you say amen? amen. Because one day we will see the Lord. Amen. amen. Can you shout amen? amen? Let's all stand to our feet. If I could have my wife come.